Hello, I'm Glyn Futter and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. Today's heroes, yes, there are two of them, are a dynamic duo who have created one of the leading eco-fashion brands today. Stitch by stitch, they're creating an ideology which is best summed up by one of their succinct strap lines, Stop Fucking the Planet. Their fashion shows have caught the attention of King Charles, Michelle Obama, Debbie Harry, and even my queen Beyonce has worn their clothes. You're going to love this. It's Vin and Omi. This is the first ever double act of gay French and Saunders, as I just described you, that we've ever had on my podcast. So, so this is somewhat experimental. You're my first experimental drug. Okay, um, good. But what I was really drawn to with, with you both is your amazing punk energy and, and the work that you've done and the ethos and also how that's evolved over time. But I think before we get on to that, what I would love to know, um, and I think for anyone listening, it would be great to, to hear your origin story. How did you meet? It's been, you just mentioned before, 22 years, right? Yeah, yeah. sadly. Uh, <laughs> so come on, I'm going to yeah, get my 20- violin. I'm going to get the vi- I'm going to give you some soundtrack music. No, I'm not. Okay, yeah, violin, violin, please. Yeah. yeah, 22 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've been together 22 years. There's one thing to meet someone, and then there's another thing to say, let's work together. Let's yeah. create a future in that way. I think we've always had this crazy idea. I think when we first met, um, there was this party in this club in Mayfair, and well, yeah, he's playing it down. It was my friend's 40th birthday, and I decided I could do the cabaret. I've never done fucking cabaret. I've no idea how to do cabaret. I was off my head, and I thought, right, I'm going to do the cabaret. You can all just sit and applaud, because I know I'm going to be really, really good. And the first song was Rockin' Robin, and I dressed up as a giant robin, and they pushed me out on roller skates, but I'd forgotten my beak. And so I came out as this robin without a beak, and it looked so fucking stupid. And that's where we met. It's avant-garde. Yeah, so I I was (laughs) standing in front of this giant robin. And he's so sweet. He came, he said, I think you need help. Yeah, because he fell on the the floor. He couldn't get back up. So I I had to drag him by the ankles. And this is not a joke. I dragged him by the ankles through the club into the changing room. He was supposed to be helping me. Yeah, right. I had to sing in front of all of these pictures of him for this friend of ours, 40th birthday. I was supposed to sing Memories as Barbara Streisand. A, I can't sing. I really, really can't sing. And B, he'd forgot to put my wig on. So it's like, because we were really, really drunk. And he pushed me out and I sang Barbara Streisand. It was shit. And then I said, this is a disaster. I'm going home. He said, oh, I'll come with you. And I thought, well, I don't, I'm not sure about this. I, I thought, oh, good, this is going to be a funny shag. Um, yeah, I'm following you home. So, and at uh, that point, he found his beak. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I did. I've, been, I did. I've been looking for someone with a beak, actually, for a long time. <laughs> so it never flags up on Tinder. There's me meeting my boyfriend on Tinder and thinking, oh, this is quite novel. Apparently not. No. <laughs> no, apparently not. So... So then where does the story go after that? Because there's one thing to be in a relationship. I, for instance, I cannot imagine working professionally with, with my boyfriend. Um, you know, a relationship is hard enough. Yeah, but then yeah. to decide that you're going to immerse yourself in a profession that is actually not conventional either. You know, you've definitely paved your own way in terms yeah. of your story and your narrative. So how did that come about? Well, I think the important thing is that Especially like, you know, when you're doing a podcast and stuff and people are listening, I re- I've got to, you have to remember what shit you were in at the time. And I think at the beginning, 
as, as creatives, it's very, very easy to have all these wonderful ideas. And a lot of the kids that work with us, the hundreds of kids throughout the years that have worked with us, all the same, they come to us, they've got great ideas, and you do fuck all with them because you, you just can't on your own. And then the second we got together, we both thought, ah, we need double energy to get all this stuff off the mm. ground. And that was like... It was just an automatic thing. It's you know you can put your violins on now. It's like it, you, it was like an automatic <laughs> thing where where we just really really enjoyed working with each other and enjoyed being with each other, and literally have spent twenty four hours a day with each other since. I think the key element was that you know I, I spend most of my late teens and early twenties, very early twenties, just traveling around by myself, being a photographer, and I think. One is you never meet somebody with the same blue sky thinking, you know, it's just dreaming, you know, whether is it attainable or not attainable, it's nice to have a dream. You know, sometimes people dream within their means and that's fair enough, but sometimes it's good to dream something so extreme that that it just keeps you alive inside, you know, knowing that, you know, it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen. And I think we both have that sort of same crazy blue sky thinking ideas and we had lots of, of friends who were in fashion at that time and stuff and we just hated their lives you know we look at them and we think oh you miserable bitter twisted fuck you know it's like <laughs> it's like seriously I mean you're worried about how, how long that miniskirt's going to be next season and so I think Vin and I back then we didn't know about our disabilities we That's, certainly didn't know about yours yeah, because I, think, I mean he came through the door <laughs> and to be frank you were a mess. And he was, you know, he was going through the suicidal stages. He was going through, do you mind me saying that? No, no, okay. Not. He was going through the suicidal stages. And I'd never met anybody like him before. So it's one of those things where you hook up with somebody and normally, you know, you don't really think about it. I thought, no, this, this one may work. And then I thought, oh my God, he's so sad. <laughs> he's so unhappy. He's so mm. sad. And, you know, trying to sort of kill himself and it was I thought this is a great first week and it was like I, I must be a really good shag and, like, and it was like, and it was it was this is what I've been looking for all my life <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> love of my life it's going really well and it took us seven years before we realized that you were on the spectrum and you'd got Asperger's or autism and it was fucking obvious once we got diagnosed but if you don't know that and all you're dealing with is why is this person being so weird, so aggressive, so self-harming, so and and your aggression and stuff was only direct to yourself. You've never been aggressive to me at all. But it was just something I'd never met. And at one point I did actually go to to my doctor and I said, Look, we've thought of everything. Have you ever, ever had an alien in your surgery? And and they went they were like I said, I think he's an alien. I've 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 read all the books, I've been online, he's an alien. He's an alien. And I said to him, You're an alien. He, I said, I know where your mothership is. And he said, I haven't got a mothership. I said, Of course you're gonna say that. <laughs> and I really believed at the time that he must be. Then we got diagnosed. I'm like, ah. So actually, being autistic is so in a way alien to our behaviour that it was like such a, a weird learning curve, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, you know, you, you grow up in, in a country where, you know, giving your husband a blowjob, even if you're straight, it's illegal. And 
and growing up in a very conservative family. So, I mean, just to contextualize that, what country did you give us Singapore. Back, your background? Yeah, from Singapore uh, right. originally. Oh, and, I've been and, there. I've been there several times. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. I performed in a, a Paris Banks in a strap on, but we'll get to that later. And you didn't get arrested? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Lucky you. (laughs) And I I have a very conservative family and my my brothers, you know, they they played sports for the state and, you know, it's a very male environment and I I didn't have any sisters and stuff. So so you grew up in the closet, so to speak. And and, and and the first opportunity I had, I thought, I'm going to the opposite side of the world to study. I'm not going to study in, in anywhere near. And I think Growing up with autism, I, I never really realized I had it because it was not something you talk about, you know, let alone being gay. And and so there was, you know, I spent most of my secondary school sitting in the courtyard uh, or getting caned by the teachers. And then you just develop this real violent uh, character where, yeah, so if you stare at me, I would I would hit you. And, and I think there was a lot of things that happened in, in my childhood, you know, um, sexual abuse and, and everything that, that went on, just you develop this really tough exterior. And I always had this dream of, I didn't want to be the biggest fish in the smallest pond. I want to be the biggest fish in the biggest pond. And I'm, I'm going to show everybody else what I could do because the best way of describing autism is it's like paper cuts on the brain. So when I'm in the thick of it, Every time somebody speaks to me or something happens, it's literally paper cuts on the brain and my my head hurts mm-hmm. and my ears feel like it's bleeding. So I sit and rock and bang my head against the wall and it's it's horrible. And then you feel like you've just ran a marathon. And then on top of all of that, you know, here here you are t- with these huge ferocious ambitions. You're queer. <laughs> you come from a country that's not accepted it. And you're trying to have a relationship with yourself, have a career. How did finding each other help and support your autism? You've got this great career. How have you managed it? And how has Vin been there for you to help manage it? Like I always said, you know, Vin needs a medal. And there isn't Vin and Omi without Vin. It took us a while. It's not, you know, we got it right in the first go. You know, the, the first few years were rough because... He didn't know how to react to me. I didn't know what I was doing wrong or how to react to him. And, and it was a lot of learning and, and sticking it out. And I think we've come to a very comfortable space where we decide to create our own little bubble. And we thought, if we stay in this bubble and work and play with what we know and make it really good, then that's all it, it takes. And you don't have to expect anything more. And I think working in an industry where... It's all about socializing and who you know and and all that jazz. It it can be really really brutal, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, it, the the thing is, it's great to create a bubble and you know, so support each other and just decide what you want to do and stuff. The second you step out the door, or you collaborate with people, oh god, it gets really different because we're in our own world and we can do what we like, and then you interact with organizations and people and it either goes really well because they get us or it's a fucking disaster and that that happens often where organizations can't actually take on board 
our way of thinking or they can't actually deal with autism in, in any shape or form because they freak out and I they think, find reasons to get rid of us. I think, like, I, like you said, mental illness is not something that people talk about. And I think especially men as well, nobody really wants to talk about it. And I think being in this industry, I mean, I've lost my hair, literally fell out over stress and and stuff. And the bullying that happens within this industry, and I think on a positive note, that's why Vin and I are very, very conscious of when when interns come and work with us or people that work with us, we always make them feel like it's their business and it's their work. And, you know, you sit and you talk to them because I rather know about all their girlfriend and boyfriend problems than them being able to sew really well because we've been through it, you know, and I think this industry can be really toxic. I mean, we're, we're talking about this now and I do feel that we are having more conversations around neurodiversity, but there is still such a lack of understanding, you know, and, and also a lack of willing to understand, right? But do you, do you yeah. feel yeah. that at any point you've seen that you can use your, not only your neurodiversity, but use these things for good and for positive and in your work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think because we got each other and I mean, I'm, I'm ADHD beyond belief. So I need 10 things on the I go. relate. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite clear. <laughs> it is. And, I and, thought and also something I've only understood as an adult as well. Um, yes. Yeah, and I through, agree. Through my boyfriend, who's a nurse, who just, I think we'd been together maybe a week and it was straight away. He said, do you take medication for your ADHD? And I said, I don't have ADHD. Don't, don't, went, what are you talking you about? <laughs> yeah, it's quite obvious. I totally you've done, you. You've just done 95 handstands and a lift. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst wearing a beak. <laughs> I totally hear you. And you take somebody else to tell you as well. Yeah, because it it's does. like... I mean, it's ADHD is so like <laughs> hidden, and it's. I mean, it really was about ten years ago. He said to me, "Well, you're ADHD," and I said the same thing. I said, well, "I've fucking got ADHD." And you know, I mean, it took so us. I'd, it took us six hours to watch a one-hour program because I keep pausing it. I have to go and do something, and then I have to oh, do ten other I things. I'm like, that <laughs> only last night, twelve stops we did. Twelve stops. <laughs> Get this in a thirty-minute, thirty-minute episode. Twelve stops. I kept blaming my bladder, but actually, I just kept going up. At one point, I got up and I thought, I might rearrange my wardrobe. <laughs> exactly. I totally hear you. I totally hear you. It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. It is crazy, but it's kind of, I mean, we're laughing about it, but when you're working, I mean, and you get emails that are longer than a paragraph and you're like, I can't fucking do this. It takes you like an hour to bloody go yeah. back and reread it, reread it. And you're in a pressurised industry where somebody that you work with is incredibly <laughs> dyslexic and refused to even look at an email ever. It's like, so I'm then going, okay, I'll, I'll get through it. And it's like, quick, quick, send the email. I'm like, okay, I just have to feed the pheasants. I just have to go outside and do this. And then you I'll see, and I just don't from, get it From done. my point of view, it works really well because like leading up to the show, there's so many things that, that needs to be done. Ta-dam! Yeah, right. I, I like, do it all. Yeah, he does it all. But, but <laughs> and then I just turn up. I'm but, like, isn't it not that much? <laughs> you, you say, how have we intersected with another world? Is it's it's like 
A, our sponsors understand us 100%. And also, we do things at our own pace. It's our business and it's the only way to do it. Now, we've had lots of offers of investment and all of this crap, but it will come with everything that will batter our disability to death. And so we're like, no, fuck that. Fuck money. Fuck big money. We don't, we're not interested in that. I mean, our sustainability comes from the fact that I always had to recycle everything. We had no money. And it's like, it's just a normal process. So that filters into our work and it filtered into our work in, in 2000. And we were really keen to actually just make sure that we did our own version of fashion, our own version of our, our business. And we're really passionate about eco and sustainability before it got boring and trendy and every fucking day somebody says it. It's like we, we got into that. So... It's kind of organically just us, isn't it? I think, I think, yeah, when we, you know, when we first started, I think because the way we think, the blue sky thinking and the way we navigate ourselves, and we, we were caught for this meeting by, by, um, by the National Endowment for Science and Technology Award, and they, they sat us down and they said, oh, we'd like to give you a scholarship. <laughs> we both just sat there and we went, huh? <laughs> Well, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like... Well, um, this, one, this one signed a contract giving away our life's rights because I wasn't there. And he, he couldn't be asked <laughs> to read it. And it's like, it just was, meant every time we made any fashion garment, it was basically theirs. I was, and just, I'm like, I was, just, looking like, at, I was just looking at the check and going, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so someone might have had to dress as a lawyer and pretend to be a lawyer. I'm not saying who. And had to go down there and pretend to actually <laughs> sue them as a lawyer. And actually, honourable Vin. Yeah, exactly. And get out of this fucking contract. And uh, we managed it and um, it worked. It was a complicated... It, I, I think it was it was fun. You know, I mean, we started with crazy ideas and, I, I you know, it wasn't all plain sailing. You know, I, uh, we were holding three jobs each. Uh, you know, I, I would be cleaning the Trafalgar Tavern at three o'clock in the morning in Greenwich, then catch the morning bus back to the studio. I love hearing this. I love speaking to people that have that punk DIY spirit because we're told that we're not supposed to win, right? And the, the way to navigate it, and it's so tough, right? And, I, and, and my whole career has been based on, well, no one's going to help me. And I've asked, I'm just going to have to figure it out myself and I'm going to just do it myself. And I feel that the best, or the best achievements in my life have been just felt and tasted so much better because I understood the route that I took to get there. So if it all fell apart, I could do it again. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, no one gave me anything. Yeah. And it's, no. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long and very fucking bumpy road, isn't it? Yeah. It's a long and bumpy road. You walk down into a lot of dark corners. And, yeah. And, but, but, but we have to remember that, you know, all the kids that work for us and with our lives as well, you go through school feeling weird because you are, according to everybody else, fucking weird. And it's like, and then you have to navigate this bloody world where everybody's really boring and fucking normal and fucking shit yeah. and and treat you like you're, you're weird and then suddenly you realize ka-ching hold on there's nothing wrong with me this is and my it, power this is my power yeah. yeah and then you enjoy your power and trying to get the kids that work with us to enjoy their power is the thing i mean we did a documentary of our not the last show the one before where the cameras were on us 24 hours for three weeks and you can see how we interact with the kids and how their difference has kind of 
applauded. Now, we, we're not blowing our own trumpet, but it's just because we're in that zone of we, can't, we would never judge anybody. It's like we don't. And they are actually, it's quite a great documentary because they're, they're firing off in all directions and we don't even notice, you know, and it's like they're just left to, they make mistakes every two minutes and it's great. Most of our models, well, not most of our models, I'd say about half of our models identify as having mental health issues. And they come in late, they turn up, like, and they forget that there's a show, and it's like, it's, it's, it's normal. Beautiful chaos. Just to compound that, after, about year three of being with Omi, he kind of announced that he was illegal. And it was like, ah, okay, so you, you haven't done your visa thing and all that crap. He's like, no, I just couldn't be here. And because, he, you know, with this disability, he often doesn't see... Or he just often doesn't want to go through the correct procedure or he can't or he switches off. Can I talk about immigration? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so for the first three years, it's like I had no clue about this. And then one day I said, oh, come on, let, let, let's go on Holland. Let's go here. And he said, oh, but I, haven't got, I can't. I haven't got a visa. I'm like, what do you mean you've got a fucking visa? <laughs> He's like, oh, no, I'm not. I, and I'm like, I'm like, you're here illegally. And it well, was like, I wasn't technically well, because I, I yeah, mean. Well, technically you were. I didn't need a visa to come here, but I think technically when you, you weren't emotionally. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gay. I'm physically, allowed. physically, I was here. Listen, physically, he was here. I I'm, yeah. I'm gay. I'm allowed to be as dramatic as I want to, yeah, undramatic yeah. as I want to. But, but it took, how many years um, did it take to get a, to get an English? Well, citizenship? yeah, because then it became this huge issue. Because, well, it's called the government. Yeah, because. I, it's also called autism, actually. Yeah, yes, um, it, it is. It's so yeah. interesting hearing yeah. you speak about this because, um, you know, I, I consider myself to be incredibly bright, but I struggle with um, filling out forms. Yeah. I like yeah. my fear of filling out a form. Yeah. The fear becomes so, um, so powerful that I just don't do it. Yeah. Um, paying bills has always been, like, so scary for me. And for me, booking travel flights things like that i yeah. find it the most stressful thing ever he, so, he now books all the flights he you know sorts out all the bills he does all of that because i can't i, I mean I, I i can't so it's weird we have a switch thing because yeah. in the beginning you couldn't do any yeah. of that and i actually reluctantly did it and then i i've released my all my power to book anything or do anything onto homie who you brilliant at it now i think it's one of those things where your hit goes very practical. I think with autism, and I think with every, every autism, everybody with autism functions very differently. You got different mm. triggers and stuff. And I think when something goes really bad, my hit goes into strategy mode, and I start thinking of everything that you know to strategize and what to do and stuff. But I hear what you're saying because at the same time, when I think about all the hoops you have to jump it freaks me out like over lockdown we've been doing loads of sizzle sizzle tapes for you know itv and channel 4 and netflix and they all were coming and they're going oh guys we want to do something with you guys and stuff and every time we finish doing a sizzle we sort of almost talk them out of it <laughs> because my, yeah, my head goes, <laughs> oh shit. That means not only I have to deal with you and you and you and you and you, and then I, it goes off them. Oh, it's part it. of the no. process. You know, you know? and, and <laughs> even filming our documentary and when the producers came down and they were filming our documentary, which they still are. You were hiding in a clothes roll, weren't you? 
I, I, yeah, I, literally, I was, and I we didn't realize. It's on the documentary, it's actually hiding in the clothes. I'm like, yeah. And there's this moment where they were following us around, and it's kind of weird because we live in the country, right? And, and then you go to the local post office, and then you've got this TV crew following you, and then everybody's looking at you thinking, who the fuck is that? And, um, and, and I remembered I was so annoyed one day because. The house was rigged with cameras. The car was rigged with cameras. And I didn't realize how sensitive the mic was. And the producers and the film crew got into their own car. And I got in the car and I said to him, say, oh my fucking God, I can't stand the shit. I can't stand them anymore. Hot mic moment. <laughs> yeah. Hot moment. <laughs> and then well, I came out from the car and I opened the door and I was like, oh, hi. And they went, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. I'm like, were you apologizing? He says, we heard everything. And I was like, oh. Mm. So I want to talk about the label. You've done, like I mentioned in the intro, you've just achieved such amazing things. And yet we've touched on it in this, actually, that fas the fashion world is a very um, structured, uh, actually quite... It, whilst we, they might be presenting creative ideas, it doesn't have a creative way of thinking, does it? Yeah. My yeah. experience of it is. So how have you yeah. managed to fight through all of that, keep that punk ethos, that fuck you attitude, yeah. and, and keep going? Because yeah. I, over, over, you know, I've lived in East London now for 20 years and I've seen friends start labels and, and, and they start with the most joy in their hearts and start with this amazing ideology of what they want yeah. to create and what they want to say it gets beaten out of them yeah by the fashion industry absolutely or, you know a dear, one of my dearest friends ended up quitting his label because he just said you know i was making dresses for women that i didn't know exactly you know yeah why am i doing this i'm yeah. not excited so how do you keep going well how do you keep going and what inspires you to keep going i mean it's important to remember that mm. with all of our rebel sort of attitude and everything like that we still thought in the beginning that we had to do it the proper way even us we thought all oh, right so we've got to get on schedule we've got to be on london fashion yeah. week we've got to do all of this so then you apply to be on schedule like all other designers want to be apparently and they say ah oh, you've got to have six stockists before you can come on to schedule and we're like hold on you want us to produce all this bloody clothing that's going to sit in fucking stores, wasting bloody cloth and wasting everything. And we're funding all of this yeah. just to be on your fucking schedule. And we're like, no way. You take off that condition and we will be on schedule. And they're like, no, no, no. You've got to supply six stores first. I'm like, but nobody sells anything. And it sits in the bloody store. It's wasting yeah. our money and theirs. It's shit for the planet. And this was, you know, 2000. Archaic 2000. way of thinking. It really is an archaic, archaic way of thinking. The business and for, has and for seven changed. years, we battled them. We filled in our application and we said, no stockists. And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean no stockists? We're like, we sell when it's, if somebody wants something, we'll make it. But we're not fucking producing surplus crap. This was in, from 2000 to 2007. Every time they rejected us and said, don't be so stupid. And so we actually thought, by default, we thought, fuck them. We're going to do it on our own. And then the, the difficulty becomes, because how do you fund it? How do you start? And then we thought, hold on. Like your friend that had been in fashion and he was making clothes for people that he didn't know. With Omi's autism, he really likes to know where they're going. 
He really likes to know where our work's going. And, he, you know, it's very important that we actually don't do it the right way. And we suddenly thought, hold on, we're thinking about this completely the wrong way. Let, where are these textiles coming from? Let's make our own textiles. Let's have complete control of every single thing we do. Then we'll be happy. I think yeah. when we first started, and maybe we had the scholarship, and we were working a lot with NASA, and uh, we were on the NASA Artist Program, and, and we were working at Silicon Valley. And, and, and prior to that, there was no... Instagram, there was no Twitter, you know, it was MySpace and stuff. And so we yeah. were, we were, we were writing papers sure. on how <laughs> this idea of sustainability would, would develop. And the only industries that were under pressure were the aerospace industry and the automotive industry, because they had, they had laws binding them to carbon emissions and all that sort of stuff. So Vin and I had to learn very quickly. We had to, we, you know, we delve ourselves into those industries. We work with the artist programs there. We, we started to learn and think what would the creative industry look like in sustainability. And, and I remember traipsing down to, to the BFC in 2000 and they say, oh, hippies, go away. Sustainability, what rubbish, you know, like, right. you know, go away. And, and, we, yeah. and we sat down and we thought, wait a minute. Social media is on the rise. And you know, it's one of those things, you hit a brick wall and you've got two choices there. You can continue hitting your head against the brick wall or you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. And I think that's when you realise that having disabilities makes you super human in the way that you're used to getting knocked back every day of your fucking life. So you actually yeah. don't give a fuck. You get over it and you can't completely do your own thing. And we don't sit and dwell on things because we're used to getting knocked back so we just carry on it's like but also what yeah. happened was the fact that we and like you were saying we're all over the fucking place most of the time our, our brain patterns are all over the place and it's like that's really being used to our advantage because we'll go in initially say as fashion designers or whatever and we'll end up designing their boardroom or we'll end up re restructuring their company because we sit down and go hold on you haven't got creative thinking in your boardroom so bring us in, let's look at the way that you're actually, you know, using your waste products. Let's look at the way that you're doing this or you're doing that. And we get, we kind of infiltrate different companies in different ways. I mean, we're, we're ambassadors for a few companies now because they, they sponsor us for our shows. Yeah, they see us as fashion designers or designers, that's fine. But then we end up working with their management. We end up working with their structures. And we're in there just to throw in our all over the place brains into why, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? I think why I don't think, you do that? And the way that we think as ADHD people, as autistic people, is actually really useful for yeah, industry. It really is. Seeing yeah. in the gaps. Yeah. yeah I think I think you yeah. know, looking at uh the you know, I think being being very punky with the way we dress or the way we think and stuff is it's it's natural to us in maybe because of the disability and stuff. To other people uh, it might be easy for us to infiltrate really established uh, businesses or very traditional businesses because maybe they find us not threatening. But I think behind all this facade, I think, you know, with, with our scholarship and, and writing a lot of theories behind it and ideology behind it and stuff, and it took us a long time. It took us a long, long time. And, and now, you know, a lot of our stuff is is archived by the VNA Museum and and it's it's great, you know, to be able to say, oh, I'm I'm being recognized in a different direction. Oh, that's a legacy. 
yeah, yeah. rather than by the industry that that's supposed to celebrate you uh they seem to, to push you away and then you you get celebrated elsewhere and, and the reality is when people like your friends and stuff when they sit down when you're in that world like yourself when you're in the podcast world and in that media world that world seems really really big because you're in it but the reality there's a huge world out there and i think what we're seeing is a lot of young creative really powerful young young creatives who are thinking i don't need an organization or store to sell my things i can sell it on etsy i can sell it on instagram mm. and i can sell 10 and that 10 will talk to another 10 and the other 10 will talk to another 10 and let me tell you let me give you an example one of the a, a guy that came to work with us and he was 19 and he made thirty-seven thousand pounds in a month selling one t-shirt design on wow. Facebook and you sat down and you think he's he's so young and he's got his head screwed on and he wanted to go to St. Martin's and so we wrote for him to go to St. Martin's and and he got an interview and he went there and the lecturers went oh do you have your portfolio and he he turned around to the lecturer and went actually you know what I changed my mind it's overrated yeah. and he turned around and he walked <laughs> off and the lecturer called me called us up and he went you know that guy you recommended, yeah? Just F us off and turn around and went off. I said, why? What did he say? He says, we're overrated. I said, well, he's probably right. <laughs> I love that. How much of your career would you say has been motivated by being told no? I, I would say about uh, 75, 90% of the yeah. time. And I think, uh, like any industry, it, I, I'm not saying that we're superhuman. It does affect you. Um, it never gets easier. It gets harder. And I think, you know, it's kind of kind of bullshit when people say the more times somebody say no to you, it gets easier. No, it, it gets harder because the higher you climb, the more it's harder to hear that no. But the reality is you need to sit down and think that one time somebody said yes and how you can amplify that to make that mm. special wipes away everything else and i think also it helps working with vin and i think when there's two people working together yeah it's going back to that if you try and do things on your own as a lot of creatives do it's fucking hard yeah it's really hard and also trying to collaborate with somebody is really hard because nearly all creators have got their own mindset they don't want to share it with somebody they don't want to collaborate with somebody they want to dilute their work and i think I mean, in the first sort of 10 years, we argued like fuck every time, didn't we? And it's like, <laughs> it and we still get to the stage where we do a fashion collection and he won't fucking tell me what he's putting on the catwalk. So then wow, I don't even, I mean, this, <laughs> honestly, it can, it can happen on show day. I'm like, you're putting that down the catwalk? I'm like, fine, okay, let's do it. Too late, it's got to go on. And then one year, he actually hid all of mine. He'd actually made enough for all of the models, but just quietly forgot to tell me that all of mine that I'd made, half the collection, 40 outfits, were actually not going down the catwalk. He'd hidden them. And so I'm like, <laughs> that's how creatively competitive two people get. And after the show, I, I, it took me about two weeks to realise. Oh I looked at my. the picture in the press. I'm like, hold on here. Where's all the clothes I made? He's like, oh, we couldn't find them. I'm like, like, fuck. Do you know something? <laughs> if you create, you know, your question about getting the nose... I think if you create that world for yourself that 
that you're happy with. Yeah, and anything can and, happen. And every day you get up and you're happy. And I think I always say, the day I get up and I think I'm going to make an excuse to go to work is the day I quit. Yeah. Because it's only going downhill from there. And I think... I think if you get up every day and you think, you know what, fuck it. If, if it happens, it happens. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Because you know what? Tomorrow, all this will go. And I could go work in McDonald's. I don't have a problem with that. Because it's a dignified job. I get to take home burgers. And it's brilliant. <laughs> Free fucking burgers. Who I don't even have to doesn't think. doesn't love burgers, right? But the reality is this. If you, if you sit down and you think whatever you have can go, then you got two feet firmly on the ground and right. everything else is a bonus. My happy point is working with Vin. Everything else is oh, a bonus. Nice. You know, whether we get that deal, whether we get another studio, whether all the other stuff is a bonus. And I think, I think if you sit down and you tell yourself, you know, that, that I'm at my happy point, then... You don't dwell on the nose that long. It doesn't you become easier. Next, yeah. next. You just yeah. yeah, give me the next no. And then the next thing you know is like, well, lots of no's will be quite fun anyways, because you just go through all of them and you you know it's And you realise you're still here and you're still going and still doing everything that you wanted to in the first place, right? Yeah. Exactly. I exactly. get up every morning, I still have a good nice wang. So. Hey, stop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and that's always the the minute someone says wank is the almost like the red button moment. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this has been unbelievable. You are both fucking amazing. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Brilliant. Oh, no. oh, Thank you great. for having us. <laughs>